reading from Paul's letters to the Colossians, the fourth chapter, verses 7 through 18. Hear now God's word. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear witness that he has worked hard for you and for all those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha in the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you have fulfilled the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. The word of the Lord. Well, we come this morning to our final sermon And I've so enjoyed our time in this letter from Paul to the believers at Colossae. It is in this final sermon that we are, we see a list of names and perhaps as you see this list of names, you think, well, what in the world and how can a sermon emerge uh, from this? But it is from this list of names that we will discover the Uh, the essence of what it means to be, the essence of what it means to be uh, in the ministry, to serve God. This is a list of people in the ministry, and it reminds me of a story I heard Alistair Begg tell, one of my favorite pastors to listen to. He said a young man graduated with a PhD in child psychology. And very sure of his position, his PhD thesis had been published with the heading, Five Definitive Principles for Rearing Children. He was a single man. And after a year or two, he got married. When he had his first child, they came to him and asked him to redo the thesis. He changed the title to Five Principles for Rearing Children, removing the word definitive. After the birth of his second child, he changed the title to Five Thoughts on Child Rearing. (laughs) And by the time they closed off their family with five children, he had changed it to Help Me, I'm Dying. Often I will say to our our staff and elders, by the time I retire, I think I'll know what I'm doing. I feel like this man who went to seminary having never pastored and wishing I could do it again and ask different questions this time and learn things that I didn't know then. Yet God gives us the responsibility of raising up pastors and missionaries and sending them out. Over the years, we have had the privilege 
of either sending out pastors or at least to be part of their training and their equipping. Daniel Tripp, some of you know well, now is a lead pastor as of two weeks ago at a church in Virginia, Catalyst Church. Josh Hayes, who served on our staff, is now campus pastor and quite blessed at Alliance Bible Fellowship in Boone. Justin Lewis is pastor of life groups at the Great Westminster uh, 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 Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Spencer Andrews, we were able to come alongside and mentor him and financially help in his church plant in the growing and thriving community town of Pittsburgh, North Carolina, just outside of uh, Chapel Hill. Ethan Hester, pastors just down the road in PG Baptist. Colby Truesdale, who kind of grew up here, is an Anglican priest and a chaplain. Andrew Walker, we sent out now seven years ago with 50 people to restart East Marion Baptist Church. And God has blessed that work tremendously there. Will Winters, pastors Lily Branch Baptist Church in Bakersville. Jason Lefford is the discipleship pastor of a thriving church in Winston-Salem called Redemption Hill. And here at Grace, our own Adrian Early now leads our discipleship ministry as associate pastor here. Alex Marsh leads our kids' ministry. Caleb Jones leads our local outreach. And at the end of our time together, we'll talk about today next steps for our own Alan Michael as God has called him and is calling him to a different place to do a different work. I remember when I was in grad school at the University of South Carolina studying to do anything but ministry. As a matter of fact, I said my dad being a pastor and my brother being a pastor and my uncle being a pastor that the last thing I'd ever do was to pastor a church. Well, the Lord began to deal with me, and when he did, he dealt hard and fast, and it was difficult, and I wrestled against that call as I worked on my master's, and finally on a Sunday morning when I'd returned home up here and traveled to the Little Free Will Baptist Church I grew up in, that, way, that morning on, that, on the way to church, I said to the Lord, Lord, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'll go wherever you tell me to go. I'm tired of fighting you. I can't fight you anymore. And that morning in the tradition of that little Free Will Baptist church, as anyone could stand at any time and testify, I stood up and I said, the Lord has called me to preach. I remember going home that day and telling mom and dad, dad no longer pastored there. And I remember telling mom and dad, and mom said, yes, I know. I said, how do you know? She said, I've known for a year. She said, well, I said, well, why didn't you tell me? She said, you wouldn't have done it had I told you. And I remember telling my dad, who was then asleep, he woke uh, from his Sunday afternoon nap. He had preached already that morning. And I told dad that the Lord had called me to preach. And he looked at me and he said, son, if you can do anything else and be happy, do it. Those are good words. Sitting in this service this morning uh, or in the next are six students who believe God has called them to the gospel ministry. Six students, high school, college students, 
either to go to the nations or to pastor or lead a church or a ministry. I would say to anyone who you believe, if you sense God calling you to his work, if you can do anything else and be happy, do it. Uh, Because it is a work to which you are called that is not glamorous, though our culture has made it so. It is not. Let's answer the question then, three of them, who pastors are, what pastors do, and why we do what we do. Uh, Paul names a bunch of people here. As a matter of fact, it's the largest list of people at the end of his letters except for Romans. And he says, beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant, faithful brother, fellow worker, servant of Christ Jesus. Those are the different names he uses to describe these, uh, these folks who are serving the Lord in ministry. So I want to just define those for you. Minister, the one is one who waits tables. We are described as waiters of tables. That's who we are. Wendy and I went out on a little date last night. When you're our, our age, going to Target and Apollo Flame is, is like going to the Grove Park. And so uh, that's what we did. We went to Target and Apollo Flame, uh, call it a date. Uh, our waitress comes over. She's fantastic, absolutely wonderful. And what makes her so good is she's into us. She's just really into us. She, she's, you know, just, just so much, what do you need? How can I serve you? Pastors are into their people. That's what it means to wait a table. A pastor who is worth his weight is into his people. He loves his people. There's something about his people that he loves, he cherishes. He does not go off to a conference and badmouth his congregation. No, he doesn't do that. The second word is servant, and that word servant is slave. The word servant can be translated slave. Uh, Now, you'd be hard-pressed to tune in to TV evangelists today and discover either one of these titles being tossed around. But indeed, we are called to be servants of God and ministers to our people. Slaves of God, and we wait tables for our people. And then the other word is worker, and that's somebody who works. Not rocket science, but I would say to you, if there's a place where lazy people can hang out, it is in the ministry. If there is a place where somebody who has a penchant for laziness can exist, it is in the unaccountable spaces of ministry where no one checks in. And so Paul says, no, not here. And then finally, brother. What does that mean? Meaning just one of you. Inherent in pastoring are two dangers. One danger is that I put myself on a pedestal. Because of the public nature of what pastors do, we can become consumed with ourselves, our influence, our work. I think COVID has made that worse. I think now that most churches are online, we can begin to believe what people who live a long ways away say about us. If you want the gauge of who you are as a pastor, ask your wife and children. 
The success of any pastor is not determined by what the masses say. It's determined by what a small number of people, namely those who live with him day in and day out, say. That is the measure of a pastor. Talk to his wife. Talk to his children. Do they respect him? The other danger is that we can be put on a pedestal by others. We begin to occupy a place in their minds where we know we can't stay, but we'll leave ourselves there. I want to ask you a question. How many of you have been encouraged by these words? Blessed assurance. Jesus is what? Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory, divine heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Fanny Crosby wrote that. She's known as the queen of gospel songwriters and as the mother of modern congregational singing in America. Her gospel songs were used by Ira Sankey and D.L. Moody, and they attribute the effectiveness of their ministry and their work to Fanny Crosby's hymn. She was blind. She... uh, wrote other hymns, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. Uh, Jesus is tenderly calling you home. Praise him, praise him. Rescue the perishing, to God be the glory. As a matter of fact, she wrote so many hymns, over 3,000 of them, that she used over 200 pseudonyms because those who wrote, uh, who put hymnals together thought it terrible to have so many hymns in their hymnal by one person. And so her hymns made it into hymnals under other names because she was such a prolific writer. Last week, Joe Head sent me an email. And in that email was a picture of her her marker, her her tombstone, if you will. You'll see it on the screen here. That's it. That's it. She had done what she could. If you wonder how high that is, it comes to your knee. At the end of all of that, at the end of such a remarkable life, that's, that's it. Now, interestingly enough, and Joe pointed out in his email that buried in that same cemetery is P.T. Barnum, the one who started the greatest show on earth, the circus. Uh, let's check his out. There you go. <laughs> wow. So this guy starts a circus, and that's what he gets. She writes over 3,000 hymns under which so many people come to faith in Christ, and that's what she gets because that's how it ought to be, church. Amen? That's how it ought to be. The reality is that we are not to build memorials to ourselves. I'm afraid some pastors are more like P.T. Barnum. As a result, the churches they lead are a three-ring circus with them at the center, and somehow God can't be glorified. That's who pastors are. What do pastors do? Uh, Here the word is to encourage. That word encourage means to come alongside. Pastors come alongside. It is a word in the Greek that is used to describe the role of the Spirit, interestingly enough, parakaleo, paraclete. 
pastors come alongside their people. What does this look like when pastors come alongside? We come alongside when times are good. We come alongside in births and weddings. Pastors are there for for those moments of joy and exuberance. Pastors come near when life is bad, deaths, divorce, disappointment with children. Pastors come alongside when you're good to affirm, to encourage, and pastors come near when you aren't good to challenge and to correct. It is our call to come in close, to come near. But secondly, pastors struggle on your behalf. Epaphras is described in that way as struggling on your behalf. Agonizomai. I seldom say words in the Greek, but this one I say because when I say it, I think you know it in the English. Agonizomai. Pastors agonize. It is a picture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Epaphras, who planted churches at Colossae and 15 miles west, planted the church at Laodicea and 15 miles northwest, planted the church at Ereopolis. This church planter, this local pastor, remember, Paul never visited this place. Epaphras agonized. He agonized over his churches. Why? Because there was a heresy that was making its way into the church. And as this heresy was making its way in, we've talked about it all along, the heresy of of legalism and the heresy of pluralism. These heresies made their way in. Uh, Epaphras had to address them, and that is costly when you do that. Bruce Thielman, pastor of the great First Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, years ago, wrote these words, There is no special honor in being called to the preaching ministry. There is only special pain. The pulpit calls those anointed to it as the sea calls its sailors. And like the sea, it batters and bruises and does not rest. To preach, to really preach, is to die naked a little at a time and to know each time you do it, you must do it again. Epaphras is described later by Paul as working hard. It's interesting, the Greek word Paul uses for work here, it is not the word that is normally used. It's a word that requires pain. It is a painful working hard. So what makes pastoring painful? And some of you may be thinking, Jerry, if you're trying to get people to sign up for your job, not the way to do it. The same thing that makes parenting painful is what makes pastoring painful. Parenting is most painful when kids don't listen and as a result wreak havoc in their own lives. And pastoring is no different. You say, Jerry, how does that work? This may strike you as odd, but as I stand here and preach this morning, I am reminded of one gentleman, perhaps he's watching online. If he is, this is a gentle call out, who is not here with his wife. And when I didn't see him with his wife this morning, I shot him a text and said, where the heck are you? 
He's struggling. I know he is. And even as I preach and look out and see his wife, I think of him while I'm preaching this morning. I can't help but do that. Often as I'm preaching, I look back and see Harold Grindstaff and wonder how in the world, day in and day out, he has the strength and the fortitude to care for his wife now as he has done for so many years. That is a reality of pastoring. It's, it's how it is. A couple weeks ago, the 11 o'clock service, I struggled to focus at times because I knew of situations I'm dealing with. And I see the folks sitting here and I am deeply burdened. Often as I ride down Highway 70 by homes, I may have my mind on one thing and then I'll see a home and I start to pray because I know what's going on in it. It's the reality of pastoring. I don't say that for you to feel sorry for me at all. No, 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 no. I'm called to this. God has called me to be in the pulpit. He's called me to pastor people. He's called me to preach. I don't see it as a burden at all. I see it as a joy. I do not see it as as a necessity. I see it as a delight. I don't do what I do because uh, there's something weighing on me. No, when God called me when I was in grad school at the University of South Carolina, and when I finally said yes, since I've said yes to that, there has been a joy that has exuded in me a, a thrill to be able to prepare and preach the word. And you as a church now for almost 21 years have said, take your best time of the day. Jump into the word. Come in here and feed us. And if you will, we will see what God can do in a place. And God has done great things. Amen. It is a joy to pastor. It is a joy to walk through some of the deepest and darkest hours with people. I come out of my office some days completely emotionally drained, but knowing in that five-mile drive on the way home, I remember what somebody told me years ago, your most important ministry is about to begin. Not everything I just did, no. But what I'm about to do at 284, not at 5182. Paul explains that Epaphras struggles and agonizes over them in prayer. C. Dixon, A.C. Dixon has written, when we depend upon organizations, we get what organizations can do. When we depend upon education, we get what education can do. When we depend upon man, we get what man can do. But when we depend upon prayer, we get what God can do, church. We are to be a praying, praying people, and I'm to be a praying pastor. I'm so deficient in that. So why do we do what we do? Here it is, Paul writes, that you may stand mature. We do it so you'll grow. That's why I get up in the morning. I love seeing people grow. It is a joy to watch 
you change. Now, we stumble and fall as we grow, don't we? We, we trip all over ourselves. That's just a reality of it. Uh, nobody gets where they're going without some bumps and bruises. Uh, don't mind the bumps and bruises. If you're ever going to raise kids, they're going to get bumps and bruises. That's how they grow. But the goal, the growth, the, the goal is growth. It's maturity. It's, it's to see you grow up. I look around this morning. I saw a line of Montreat students coming in, sitting all over the place in different places this morning. Wendy and I, two weeks from today, will attend a wedding of two Montreat students that, that, that she poured into when she worked there. I poured into when I taught there. And it's such a joy to see this young couple just grow up in the Lord and grow up to know and to love one another. That is is my greatest joy as a pastor, watching you grow. If you want to see something grow, I should have brought it with me, Laura. It's sitting over on your desk. For some reason, we have a random squash plant growing uh, over by our parking lot. It's those decorative pretty ones, you know. I think it's squash, you know, the ones that are like green and uh, yellow and striped and they're like this big and people decorate with them for the fall. Yeah, just, just check it out over there by the offices. It's growing everywhere. And now the, the, the vine is dying, but the fruit is growing and it's time to pull those things off. That's the joy of pastoring. And secondly, so that you may stand mature, but Paul says that you may be fully assured. That you may be fully assured. What does that mean? It means that, that, that if we do what we do as we should do it, that the gospel takes up residence in your heart. And when the gospel takes up residence in your heart, uh, at 3 a.m. when life is unraveling, there is a moving inside of you of the Spirit who comforts you in those dark hours when nobody else is around and gives you that, as Fanny Crosby wrote about, that blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. It isn't my goal as a pastor to be, able, to be everywhere in your life. No, it is for the gospel to be everywhere in your life and just flow. You say, Jerry, what is the gospel? The gospel is that I am so sinful. Jesus had to die for me and so loved. He was glad to die for me. Amen. That's the good news. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. That's the gospel. That's the goal. That you may be mature, but that you may be fully assured. While I was working on the sermon, I received this text this week. Good morning, Pastor Jerry. I wanted to share something with you. I'm currently enrolled at McDowell Tech, and I have a biology class. My bio professor is a respectful man, but he is not a believer. A man of science, you could say. At times, it's hard to wrap my head around some of the stuff he says in class, particularly about evolution. But something you said a couple months ago in church stuck with me. They can challenge your facts but they can't challenge your faith. That hit home with me. I just wanted to say thank you, Jake Marsh. That's why we do what we do. That you may be fully assured. 
that in class, the gospel, which Paul said in Romans 1.16, that he was not ashamed of because it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That is why we do what we do. That you may be fully assured. So I would say, as Alan Michael comes to join me on stage, I would just say a couple of things. Uh, number one, if you are part of our church family, hopefully what I've done today is to give you some semblance of what I am called to do as a pastor. If you sit here and you don't, or you think God may be dealing with you about going into the ministry, hopefully I've effectively preached to where that you could say, I'll only do that if I can't do anything else and be happy. I have to be called. And then finally, just worked out this way that this last sermon would connect with uh, what Alan Michael and I have been talking about and what God has been uh, doing. And I think that's already on. And so it's just fitting that today we have a conversation that we had at our family meeting on Sunday evening. And so let's talk about that for a little bit. Alan Michael, this is Alan Michael Sprinkle, our pastor of families and uh, uh, who's been on our staff for how long? Seven years. Seven years. And you interned with us, did you not? Yeah. So right after I graduated from Montreat, did a summer internship here um, where I did kids, uh, youth stuff, and I led the summer camps. Yeah. So, so came in as a summer intern, and that was, I think, in some ways a turning point in your life. Mm -hmm. And God really kind of gave you a vision of ministry at that point. Mm -hmm. And so went back to Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And then when Josh left to go to uh, uh, go down the road to PG, when he left, we needed someone. We called you, and you came. And talk about what you've done at Grace so far. So uh, when I first came, I was doing kids ministry, and then that uh, morphed into um, kids ministry and college ministry. And then it morphed from college ministry to young adult ministry, all the while still doing kids. And then... Uh, and then about a couple years ago, uh, created the family ministry position, which allowed me to oversee all of family ministry from preschool all the way up until marriage and all that, while still working uh, fully in kids ministry. So that's what I've been doing. And preaching on Sunday morning to kids, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And so, um, so God has called you to be a lead pastor, mm -hmm. right? To, to, to do what I do mm -hmm. in this space. And um, you, you almost left a year and a half or so ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, God closed the door. And so we said, all right, let's just keep trucking. And then we had like a mutual burden. And so our burden was for Black Mountain and for a gospel work there in the, the town of Black Mountain. And your burden was to plant a church. But you also, because you graduated from where? Montreat. From Montreat. Have a heart for Montreat students and Black Mountain. And so out of that has come uh, something quite similar but different 
to what we did with Andrew Walker uh, about seven years ago, which is to send you to Black Mountain to plant a church. All right, so it won't be Grace Community Church in Black Mountain. It will be a brand new church in Black Mountain of which you will be the pastor. And so uh, tell us a little bit about you and Bethany kind of wrestling with that call and how you got there. Yeah, so uh, the call I think I've been wrestling with for about two years. And I think uh, in what capacity that was supposed to look. So I know uh, that God has been calling me to be a lead pastor, but I didn't know in what uh, avenue that was going to be. So uh, two years ago, uh, I researched church planting, ended up reading like five to seven books of church planting, talked uh, and interviewed people who have uh, planted churches. Um, Then I looked into revitalizations, which is uh, similar to what Andrew did. And uh, which is what almost took me away from here. Uh, and God uh, ended up faithfully closing that door. Um, so I was able to stay around here for a little bit longer. But uh, church planting, uh, that door has just remained open for these two years. And uh, as the conversation more about Black Mountain uh, came about, it began to be uh, a little more clear that this door has stayed open for so long. Maybe it's time to walk through that door. Hmm. And so that's... Uh, what we're doing at this point um, is uh, trying to be faithful to what God has called us to do. And he's opened doors. As you preached at, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, how God opens doors. It's our job to walk through them. Well, this door has been open. And uh, so now it's time for us to faithfully uh, walk through them. Uh, my wife, Bethany, uh, has been uh, fully uh, on board with this um, since the conversation got really serious about this, which I'm thankful for. Um, and is the is the one of the biggest reasons that I'm willing to take this step is that she's on board with me. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. So tell us what a church plant is. Yeah. So a church plant uh, is uh, very much a missional uh, minded brand new church. There is uh, there there is no foundation uh, necessarily that we're building off of. We're not going into an already established church and and helping it uh, grow. We are going to start and we're going to have a day one. And it's when we start, and we're going to take, hopefully, people with us to go start this. Um, and we will be um, uh, walking the streets of Black Mountain, um, sharing the gospel, discipling people, um, seeing new people come to faith in Christ. And that will be um, the building blocks of this church. How many people from Grace, then, would you ideally like to say, okay, yep, I believe God's called me to be part of this mm-hmm. church plant in Black Mountain? Yeah. Uh, how many people will that be? So how many people are in this room? Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, legitimately, I think uh, 15 to 30 people um, would, would be amazing. And 30 is not the cap. That's just a range that I have. If there were more, then, then that would be amazing. And the timeline then would be uh, there's, there's a couple possibilities for people if they're interested. Right now, you have, to, you have a date. Yeah. Uh, for two op- opportunities, right? Yeah, so we're going to have two uh, interest meetings very soon. We'll have more interest meetings uh, as we go along throughout the semester. But on September the 18th, uh, we will have an interest meeting at 1015 in room one right behind us in here. So in between the two services, if you want to come uh, and hear about uh, what we're going to be doing moving forward, if you are interested at all of being a part of this, or if you want to partner in any way, we'd love to invite you to that. Uh, also on September the 18th at 5 p.m., we will be at Phil's Barbecue up in Black Mountain. They're going to host us, 
and we're going to have an interest meeting there in Black Mountain at Phil's Barbecue. So if you're in here and you're a Montreat student or if you live in Black Mountain uh, and you want to come to the interest meeting up there, um, I would love for you to come to that. I need, uh, I would love for you to tell me that you're coming because I've got to tell Phil's how many people are coming. Um, so, but those are the two next steps for you, those interest meetings uh, on September the 18th. One that will be here at 1015 and one at Phil's uh, at 5 p.m. So let me talk a bit about then our commitment at Grace and what it looks like. So uh, Alan Michael will begin working next month, which is a few days away, uh, next month as a church planting resident here, meaning his responsibilities for family ministries will completely shift off him. That means Adrian uh, will uh, assume those responsibilities and uh, all of uh, the the age-graded ministries will report to Adrian. It also means we're beginning a search for a youth uh, a minister, and we began that this week. Uh, so a full-time youth minister, Alex will continue to do kids full-time, Leslie preschool, um, and so that will be led by Adrian. What that means then is that Alan Michael begins the work between now and September of next year to get the church launched. Uh, June of next year is important because... Yeah, June of next year is important because uh, that'll be, by that point, Bethany and I will have moved to Black Mountain. So we are, uh, we live in Old Fort, and we are about 12 minutes from downtown uh, Black Mountain, maybe, but we so strongly believe in a missional mindset of being uh, in Black Mountain and living there in Black Mountain that we're going to move, and this is not, there's nothing strategic financially about this because it's expensive to live up there. It is extremely missionally strategic. It is to live there and be a part of the community there, and that's what we're going to do. So, so by June of next year, we will have moved to Black Mountain. And so, um, so then by September of next year, church launches mm-hmm. in, in the full. Uh, as the team comes together, that launch team, you will begin meeting in January, I think, right? Yeah. With that launch team uh, of folks. Uh, our church's financial commitment is we'll pay him during this whole time. And because of the way we budget here, uh, that is, is not straining us at all financially as a church. As we pay him and bring on a youth minister, it's, 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 it's no financial strain on us at all as a church. And so we will do that. Uh, in addition, then, once the church launches, we will have at least a three-year commitment to give, and it will gradually decrease over that three years. It could be up to five, but three years where we give financially in the first uh, few years of, of this church plant. Uh, there's a, 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 a very vital Baptist um, uh, association of Buncombe County. Their leader is fully on board and pumped that we are doing this. Uh, the Baptist State Convention is fully on board and excited that we are doing this. And so we would never go in without uh, kindly going in and having all those conversations ahead of time, mm-hmm. which he's already had. Um, in addition, our church is joining a sending cohort. We've been invited, uh, along with four other churches in our state, to be part of a sending cohort where we're trained to do what we do and do it well on the sending side. So we're excited about that. I think our first meeting with that for us is in October. So next steps then uh, for you is uh, Alan Michael will be in next steps uh, along with Bethany. And so if you have uh, questions, feel free to go and ask. Uh, If you're interested, let him know. Um, begin praying for the Lord to work and move and the gospel to spread in Black Mountain and down into the Swannanoa Valley in a uh, tremendous way. 
and um, we'll just keep you posted. There, It's on our website, so if you go to graceforall.org, Mercy Ridge, you'll see uh, all the kind of information. There's an FAQ you can pick up as you leave today as well, and so I think those are at the round table uh, out front. And so um, uh, would you guys let Alan Michael know how proud we are of him? <laughs> 